Good morning. It is good to be with you. It is great to be here. It's always a blessing to worship God with God's people. And I am so glad to be with you. Jesus came to the earth to impact lives. He came to save souls. He was and he is the unquenchable light. But a light in the midst of prevailing darkness. He did not come, though, to uphold the status quo. He did not come to be like everyone else in the world either. Jesus came to renew men's thinking. He came to change lives, to transform lives. He did not come in the flesh just to get along with other people. Jesus came to move people. He came to lead people in paths of righteousness, to persuade them in the ways of God. When you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, as we are on Sunday mornings in our Bible class, Jesus was all about making godly changes. The call, the call that we have as Christians to imitate Christ, to imitate our Lord, is a call that entails that every disciple being an influencer for Christ. That's what our life is to be about now. Once we have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, to be cleansed of our sins, to be added to God's family, our mission, our, our purpose in life is to be an influencing force to everything and everyone around us. 2020 vision in Christ reveals that Christians are to be about the business of inducing and inciting people in the path of God, in the way of Christ, in kingdom matters. And so affecting change or swaying hearts may be compared to like trying to move a mountain. But through Christ we can. Through Christ we can one person at a time. The gravity of this topic that we're considering this morning becomes very apparent when we, when we consider this significant truth, this significant fact, and that is influence or be influenced. Influence or be influenced. Our nature as human beings is such that we are going to make choices. We're going to take actions based upon input. That is, the choices we make and the activities we engage in have been impacted by the input that we've taken in. And that is, that, and that input's going to come from a number of different sources. And so, whose input will have the greatest sway? Whose will it be that's going to have the greatest sway in your life? Or on the other hand, what kind of input will you have on others? What kind of influence are you going to be in other people's life? So let us begin with this point, and that is man's will is influenceable. Hard word to say. 
But you think about this. You know, a person can kind of start thinking for himself and kind of have you know, be somewhat wise in his own estimation. And he may conclude, an individual may conclude that he is not easily affected, you know, influenced by others. That he's not impressionable, that he's not very pliable. But even in that judgment, I would suggest to you, even making that statement, that in, you know, what we need to understand is influence has already has played a, great, a major role in that person's life. The fact that he is making that statement is the fact that he's being influenced by something or someone else. The question here is not whether or not you will be influenced. That is not the question. You will be and you have been. But the question that you need to consider this morning is this, and that is who or what will you allow to be an influence in your life? That's the real question. All of us are influenced. It's, it's our very nature. Our God-given will to act, free moral, free moral choice, that God-given will to act was created to act according to input. God gave us a will to choose our, our path based upon input. That is, it was, it was based on the fact that God expects us to consider direction and steering. And to illustrate that, very quickly I want us to consider several examples. The first one is Adam. You, when you go and look in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, there's an interesting statement that is made about Adam in a context, you're talking about Eve. And what it says about Adam there in verse 14, it says, It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Adam was not deceived. That's an, that's an interesting thought. The Holy Spirit states, Adam was not deceived. What happened, Adam? I would suggest to you that Adam was influenced. Adam was pliable. And he was pliable to the point that Adam was willing to act contrary to what God had told him. Adam wasn't deceived. He was just influenced. He was influenced by his wife. And in that occasion, what you have, you have Adam putting his wife above God. That's what happened there. It was influence. You turn you know, several pages in the Old Testament, you come to the story of Aaron in Exodus chapter 32. While Moses is up on the mountain, he's been there for several days now. And the nation is impatient. And so they come up to Aaron and say, hey, Moses has been up there. We don't know what's happened to him. We want you to make us a God. We want you to build us an idol. And he does. Aaron was influenced by the pressure of the majority. And he made something that he knew was not God. Aaron knew what he was doing. And Aaron knew this was not Jehovah. 
He knew that, but he did it anyway because of influence. And to me, it's just kind of almost a little bit humorous, but very sad when you think about Aaron's response to Moses when Moses confronts him about it. And when Moses says there in verse 21, you know, what did this people do to you that you had brought such great sin on you? Know, what, what did they do to make you do this? It was just a little pressure from the people. And so Aaron comes back and says, well, don't let the anger of my Lord burn. He says, hey, don't be angry with me, Moses. Please don't be angry with you, brother. You know the people yourself, passing the buck, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him tear it off. And so they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. He's like, you know, this you know, it's not really not my fault. <laughs> yeah. Influence. It's a powerful thing. And you, th- you turn later on in history to the time period, the beginning of the divided kingdom, King Rehoboam. And so you have the ten tribes come to Rehoboam and say, hey, we would really like for you to lessen the cruelty of injustice that your father, King Solomon, had inflicted upon the nation. And he said, well, give me some time. Let, let me think about that. And he, and he goes to the elders of the nation, and here's what they have to say. And they suggest, yes, lighten, lighten the burden. <laughs> Don't be as cruel as your father was. But then he turns to his peers, the, the, the young men that he grew up with, and they say, no, no, don't do that. Make it harder. Make it worse. And what does he do? He takes the wrong counsel of his peers. He doesn't, he doesn't listen to wisdom. And, of course, the, the nation divided, as God said it would. And then you come to the New Testament, Barnabas. Turn there in Galatians chapter 2, where even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, just this amazing servant of God who has been uh, a co-worker with the apostle Paul, and just an exemplary man of God, an exemplary man of faith who gives way to hypocrisy because of influential brethren. And so you see there in chapter 2 and verse, verse 12, it says, Prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Talk about Peter. Peter was, was involved in this as well. But when they came, he began to draw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So you've got this, this conflict, this tension between Christians that were, were formerly Jewish and practicing their, in Judaism, then you've got Christians that were Gentiles, and that was their background religiously. And so then you've got this division being pulled apart, and the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. That is, they joined Peter, with the result that even, even Barnabas, even Barnabas, it says, of all men, was carried away by their hypocrisy. Simply because there was this influence at play. 
But what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Jesus knows the danger. Jesus knows the threat of influence of someone that you love, but who lacks the vision, that lacks the understanding of the Messiah's mission. Jesus knows what it's like to be in that place. That someone who loves you and cares for you and is following you comes and suggests that you should not finish the job that you were sent to finish. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. In his face, he says, get behind me, Satan. Your interests are not on God. And so influence is a very powerful thing. And we need to think about the idea of who's influencing you. What's influencing you? Someone is. Something is. And so what kind of spouse are you? What kind of counselor are you? What kind of friend are you? Because not only are you being influenced, you are influencing somebody else. And so we need to be training ourselves as people of God, as Christians. We need to be training ourselves to be influencers for Christ. And so how do we go about doing that? How do we go about influencing or training ourselves being a better influencer? Well, first of all, we need to understand the very nature of, of the Great Commission. Our Lord's Great Commission there, recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when He sends them out to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that idea of sounding forth the gospel of salvation to, to the world is all about swaying people. It's all about influencing people. It's all about inducing people with a divine message of light and truth. And the point is, if you have been affected by Jesus, if you have been changed by the Son of God, if you are a child of the King, then you are to join the front lines of offense in leading others to Christ. That's your mission now. Is to be an influencer for Jesus. And that's exemplified to us, for example, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. In his first epistle to the church at Thessalonica... They are commended immensely because that's exactly what they were doing. In verse 7 of that first chapter, Paul says, it says to them that you, know, you have been an example. You know, you've been an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And so you've got these two large regions. And he says, you in sounding forth... Your faith have become an exemplary you know, light to all the believers around you. But he goes on then to say in verse 8, he says, why? Well, because the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in these two areas, not only in Macedonia and he says, but also in every place, everywhere, your faith toward God has gone forth. 
We are called to be influencers. We, we are called to be able to, to try to move a mountain. One person at a time. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, as you recall, in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Here you have the king talking about the citizens of his kingdom and the expectation that he has of those citizens, and he compares it to salt and light. The impact that we are to have on the world is like salt and light. You think about salt and light, the very nature of salt and light, the very purpose of salt and light is influence. It is made to affect its surroundings. It's made to affect whatever it touches. And Jesus says to citizens of the kingdom, that's what you are. You are salt. You are light. And he goes on to say there in Matthew 5, as you well know, he talked about how, and if, if we fail to fulfill that purpose, if salt or light fails to fulfill the purpose that it was created to be, then it's worthless. It's a worthless thing, and you, you might as well just throw it away. And so the question we need to be asking ourselves this morning is, are we, are we the salt? Are we the light for which we have newly been created in Christ to be? If Christ has changed your life, and you've been added to his family, and you wear his name, then you are the salt and the light of the world. And are you the salt and light that you need to be? And if not, what do we need to be doing? What do we need to be doing to improve ourselves? What do we need to be doing to increase? Maybe we're doing okay, but what can we do to increase our influence in our surroundings? Because we're the salt and light of those people that we interact with. Those who see us. Those whose lives we touch. And I've got three things I'm going to suggest to you. What we need to be doing to train ourselves to be better influencers for Christ. To be able to move these so-called mountains one person at a time. And the first thing is, is you need to love your neighbor with the love of God. You need to love your neighbor with the love of God. In Matthew chapter 22 is the occasion when Jesus was asked about the, two, you know, the greatest commandment. The first is love God. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. What motivated our God and what motivated our Savior to take action that benefits us? What's the motivation behind what God has done and what God is doing still? What's his motivation? Well, love. That's the motivation. God is love. But it is not a worldly love. It is not a, it is not a love as, as seen or defined by worldly concepts. This kind of love, this love of God is not simply a reciprocating love to friends and family. 
That's not what we're called to do. Simply have a reciprocating love, a returning love to people that we want to love, that are easier to love. That's not the love of God. The love of God is a godly desire to be and to do what is best even to strangers. Even to your enemy. Even to the one who's opposing you as a child of God. We're to love our neighbor with the love of God. And that love, that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Some versions may say that love does no harm to a neighbor. And one way we do wrong, one way we can harm our neighbor is when we become a spiritual stumbling block to him. Oh, maybe we didn't do anything directly to him. But our influence wasn't what it needed to be. We weren't the salt that we needed to be. We weren't the light that we needed to be. Yeah, we weren't being the Thessalonians. Maybe. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And one wrong that we do sometimes is we become stumbling blocks to the neighbor around us. So what, what do we need to do to try to prevent that? What do you, what's some practical things that we, we can look at and see, well, how do I go about not doing wrong to my neighbor? And, well, you go back there and you look in Romans 13, there's some very practical verses that are included in that context. It, you know, as you note there in verse 10, you know, we've already read this this morning. In verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. That's the fulfillment of the law. But notice what verse 13 says again. Let us behave properly, as in the day. So he said, behave yourself. Behave yourself. And he goes and he kind of explains a little bit what he means about behaving yourself. And he says, basically, don't do all the ungodly, all the, the, the sinful pleasures that the world relishes. Don't be like the world. You behave yourself. You be light in the midst of prevailing darkness. But not only do we need to not do something, we also need to be doing something. And so in verse 13 said, behave yourself you know, as in the day, and so don't commit these sins. And in verse 10 he says, put on the Lord Jesus. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to his love. If, if I'm going to love my neighbor with a godly love, then that love is not going to do any wrong. not going to do harm to my neighbor. And one thing I'm going to be concerned about is my influence. What, the neighbor, what that neighbor sees, what the neighbor hears, or maybe what the neighbor hears about. Through someone else. Love your neighbor. Be that light. Be that salt. That you were called to be. When Jesus raised you up. That's white as snow from baptism. But also. 
Focus on building a good reputation. In the Proverbs, there's a, you know, a couple of well-known statements that are familiar where it says a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. That's not true in the world. But from God's viewpoint of things, as he shares wisdom from above, we are told that a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. And a good name is better than a good ointment. So forget about the vanities of this world. Smelling good, looking good. Build a good reputation. What we need to realize about our lives is that nobody's life is a total island to himself. And we may even think in, in our time of greater you know, uh, you know, distancing, greater isolation, that you know, less and less people are seeing us. And I'm not sure about that, that there's less and less seeing us. I think they're still seeing us the way we're behaving ourselves in the midst of whatever this is. The fruit of everyone's actions is visible. And it's visible to be judged. That's the very nature of it. The actions of, of all of us is visible and is there to be visible and is there so they can judge us by what they see, what they experience around us or with us. And I would suggest to you that elders are not the only ones who need to be concerned about their reputation. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 7 talks about the importance of elders having a good reputation outside the assembly, outside the family of God. Excuse me, that's not what I'm... But rather, we need to realize all of us, all of us need to be building a reputation that that could be said about us. That, you know, outside we are found blameless. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, 1 Peter 2, verse 12. The apostle is admonishing and exhorting the saints that were scattered in, in the Roman Empire. And he reminds them, who in verse 11, they are to be as aliens and strangers waging war. Yeah, and he says in verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Basically, he's saying, keep your behavior, keep your influence excellent among the world, in the world, in the midst of the neighbors, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evil do. Now, they may still say bad things about you because you are a believer, because Jesus is your king and Lord and master. So they may still blaspheme you, and they may still try to ridicule you, but he says, you, you just make sure you behave yourself, present your character in an excellent manner, so that even if they do that, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them. See, they're, they're watching. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Paul says the same thing over in Colossians. Colossians chapter, chapter 3, chapter 4 there, verse 5, when he says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. 
We need to train ourselves to be better influencers for Christ. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to love our neighbors with the, the love of God. But secondly, we need to be building a good reputation. And so we need to be behaving ourselves. And so what are some practical things that people notice? What are practical things that your peers and your coworkers and your neighborhood friends notice about you? Well, one is they notice if you're a complainer or not. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 said, we're to do all things without complaining. Don't be a complainer. If you want to be a better influencer, stop complaining about everything. Now, we may think, you know, we have a lot to complain about. And there may be some slight truth because we live in a troubled world. But don't go about complaining. That doesn't, that's not going to make you a brighter light and lead others to Christ. But on the other hand, be, be a law-abiding citizen. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he says, okay, behave yourself, keep your behavior excellent. In the very next verse, it talks about submit to governing authorities. And so basically what Peter does, he says, okay, here's the principle, behave yourself. And he says, okay, now here are some things very practically you need to be doing. And the first one he says, be a law-abiding citizen. Romans 12 talks about how don't take revenge. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Give it all to God. You don't take vengeance. You don't take, you know, avenge yourself against anyone. But instead, just prove yourself a, a diligent worker. Back there in 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that, be a diligent worker, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in need. One reason we work is to take care of ourselves. But that's not the only reason we're told to work. Another reason we're told to be good workers is so that the world will see you and take note. Do what is honorable, as the apostles expressed there in 2 Corinthians 8. Don't lie. Don't lie. Put away all false speaking, all falsehood. Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.25. And then finally, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You want to start building a better influence? You want to build a better character, a better reputation? Here's a short list of things that we can be doing and are able to do to show that Christ lives in us and we in Christ. But then thirdly and finally, that is we need to discover ways that we can personally encourage growth in a brother. Proverbs also says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We influence one another. For good or for bad, we are, we are influencing one another. And so what we need to remind ourselves concerning is this, that in Christ's family, in God's family, we are keepers. Keepers of our brothers looking out for one another's salvation. And so we need to be 
finding ways that each one of us can personally encourage growth in another brother. This idea is brought out in Hebrews 10 verse 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 24 when it says let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds what do you think about that phrase I have underlined consider how to stimulate this spiritual consideration this considering one another is work it's labor that you are to be taking as you Implement action. You know, notice before you, uh, you consider what you can do to encourage someone else to do something else. That's what this verse is saying. Let us consider how to stimulate. So that we're being called to action here. So I need to find ways, find things that I am able to do actively to implement another to action. That's what it's talking about. Us doing something to help others do something too. All in Christ. Now in New Testament, clearly the idea of building up one another is found throughout the New Testament. And what we need to understand is that not only does that need to be our concern in the assembly, you know, in the assembly, all that we need to be, all that we're doing needs to be unto edification. But that's not the only place that we are to be focusing ourselves in the work that's before us to build up one another. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19, it says the same thing about edification, and it's not talking about in the assembly. When the church comes together, be edifying. It's talking about at other times. In verse 19, he says. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Down in verse 2, again, it comes back to that same point. Each one of us to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. If I want to be an, an influence for, for Christ, there's a number of things we need to be doing. And one of it is I need to be busy building up other people. So I need to, I need to see, figure out what can I do Actively to interact with other individuals of faith to help them grow so that they will be more active in the kingdom of Christ. It may be you know, things such as praying with them or, pray, or reading with them or studying with them or ministering to others with them. See, see the point? All of us, in a sense, are to be mentors to one another. Mentoring one another so that we're all busy growing up together in the body of Jesus Christ. We all know that Christ is molding us. He is shaping us into the kind of men and women that he needs us to be. And our prayer should be that may God help us to be that and to do that. To become better influencers for him, not only this year, not only the year 2020, as we use that phrase 
can kind of play on words. But every year, may our prayer be that God help us to be better influencers for Him and for Christ in our entire life. And, and to do that, that, that means that it begins recognizing, it means that we have to recognize that every man's will can be influenced, and that includes us. All of us can be influenced. It's just who or what are we going to let in? And so, yes, there is a sense that we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard against the schemes and against you know, the deceitfulness of Satan, who is our adversary. He is the enemy. But at the same time, every day, we need to be disciplining ourselves so that we can influence someone else as well. And so that means love your neighbor, be concerned about your reputation, and personally do whatever it takes to encourage somebody else. Be busy doing that. And do that without complaining. And you will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And Christ will be seen in you and you in Christ. But to be that, you first must be a Christian. If you've not committed your life and obedience to the gospel, if you've not surrendered your will to his will, then you're not being the influence you need to be. You can't totally influence someone to Christ, for Christ, for good, if you're not living your own life for him. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the son of the living God, and you believe that with all your heart, why not today confess that faith with your mouth before others? Repent of your sins and be buried with him in baptism. And begin your life with Christ as an influencer for Christ. If you are a Christian, then perhaps there is sin in your life that you've not repented of, you've not prayed to God about. If we can assist you any way to make your life right with your God, with your Father, and with your Lord and Savior, praying for you and praying with you, we invite you, encourage you. Please come forward, make your wishes known while we stand and sing.